Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I am continuing our series, Down to Earth. The premise of this series is that Jesus came down to earth. And He not only came down to earth, but He came down to earth in a down-to-earth way. I love the uh, nativity story that Jesus came as a baby. He came in human form so that we could relate to Him. He didn't come as the King that He was in majesty and pomp and ceremony and with an army, but He came in a way that you and I could relate to him. And when God, before Jesus actually came down to earth, God represented himself to us mere mortals in three different ways. He came and or used the prophets who were representative of God before man. So they said to uh, mankind, hey, they would, prophets were all about representing God to man. The priests were all about representing us, mankind, to God. And the kings were all about representing God's authority and they were God's representative over mankind. So when Jesus came down to earth, what He wanted to do was to come and actually complete that picture. Because while it was a good opportunity for God to represent Himself here on earth, it wasn't a full representation of who God was. So Jesus actually came down to earth to fulfil those three offices. And so when Jesus comes down to earth as the prophet, He's revealing God to you and I. When He came down and He takes up the mantle of the priest, He's actually reconciling you and I to God. And when He's in the office of King, He is reigning over each and every one of us as God. That is why Jesus came down to earth. And that's the premise and the basis of this series this morning and our hope and our desire is we'd have a fresh revelation of who Jesus is, but more importantly, a fresh revelation of what He's actually done and the impact that that has had on your and my life. And last week, Pastor Tony kicked the series off. He spoke about the prophet and I want to encourage you. It was an amazing message and you can go to our Victory Church app and you can watch or you can listen to that preach or you can go to our YouTube channel You can subscribe there and again, you can watch all of our messages online. But last week was a great message from Tony. Next week, as he mentioned, we're going to hear part three on the King. But this morning, I get the privilege of talking about Jesus as our priest. And the the scriptural text or the scriptural basis of this um, series is in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And in these three scriptures, it talks about Jesus being our priest. It talks about Jesus being the prophet, Jesus being uh, the king. And verse 3 of that simply says this, that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And I suppose I want to start this morning by just answering the question, what is a priest? Because I don't want to assume that everybody here in the building or those of you who are joining us online understand or know by definition what a priest is. But simply put, a priest is a mediator. 
Now, we would maybe all be aware of situations where there have been two parties at odd at odds with one another. Maybe you're aware of neighbours who've had arguments over silly things like the colour of a fence. No, I want the green one. No, I want the um, cream one. Oh, I want the beige one. I mean, who am I kidding? Nobody wants a beige fence. But there's obviously been opportunities where you have neighbourhood disputes, where people are at odds with one another. Or maybe there's business partners who have had to dissolve a business partnership because there's been uh, an odds or a difference in opinion and you're at odds in how we can successfully dissolve this partnership or even sadly there are opportunities when family breakdown occurs. The two parties need a mediator. They need somebody who can uh, be a source of communication so that resolution can come and take place. Now, the root word of mediator is actually media, which means a source of communication. Now, I don't know, are there any cricket fans in the house or online this morning? See, I like cricket. And I know that that's an actual polarising statement because people think cricket can be the most boring game on the earth, but that's why they invented 2020. But I actually enjoy cricket. I even like the experience of going to the cricket. I like the test experience, I like the one-day internationals, and I like the um, Big Bash League. Unfortunately, you can't always get the opportunity to go to the cricket, so sometimes I have to watch the television and watch the cricket at home. The advantage of that is I don't pay through the nose for my snacks and my drinks and whatever I'm having when I'm watching the cricket, and I don't have some drunken yobbo pour his uh, beer all over me as he's making his way to the seat. But the problem is I am what we would call involved in what is a mediated experience. Am I watching the cricket? Yes, but what I'm watching is pictures that are through a source of communication, a medium that is providing for me the viewing experience. Otherwise, if I was at Adelaide Oval, I would be there. It's what we would call an immediate experience. And so a priest for us is a mediator. It's a, he's a source of communication between you and I and God. Now, you might ask the next question, well, then why do we need a priest? Well, I'm so glad you asked that because the Bible tells us that because God is so holy and so pure and we have a sin nature, we actually can't come into God's presence. Just like a shadow can't stand in sunlight, you and I cannot actually, with our human nature, stand in the presence of a holy God. The Bible says that we will die if we do that. So we need somebody to be able to stand in that presence for us. So God instituted the office of a priest. They were there to be able to stand in God's presence. They were there to make sacrifices for God's people. They were there to pray for God's people. They were there to teach God's people about himself and about his ways. Now, here comes the problem. Priests are people and human like you and I. And like you and I, they could be just as corrupt and as sinful as we find ourselves to be. In fact, there's stories throughout the Bible when you read about the Levitical priesthood and some of these things. There's some great men who did some great things for God, but there's also some stories and such stories as Eli's sons who were awful. In fact, the Bible calls them scoundrels. 
In 2020, I think we'd have a different word for them, but scoundrels is where we'll head with today. But they were men. They were actually supposed to be God's representative. They were representing God, and here they were. They were greedy. They were selfish. They were actually sleeping with the women who were at the temple court. And it's into this setting that God says in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2, no, it's 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35. This is my OCD, uh, what do you call that when you dyslexia kicking in? 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35 says this, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind and I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. Church, the good news this morning is this, that Jesus came down to earth to be that faithful priest. And this morning, I want to quickly look at Jesus' priestly ministry, the work of his ministry, what he did, and then what that means for you and I. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm going to stay in Hebrews this morning. We're going to turn to chapter 9. And we're going to read from verses 24 to 28. And if you don't have your Bible with you, it will be up on the screen and it will come up on screen for you, for those online. So verse 24 says this, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hey, this morning, church, I just want to share three things about Jesus' priestly ministry. And the first one is this. His work was a costly work. So you have to understand in the Old Testament, they had to make, the priest had to make a sacrifice for our sin. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, you had to make a sacrifice. And then any time you actually wanted to go into the presence of God, maybe you wanted to do a vow to God, maybe you had become unclean, you'd broken some law, any time you had to offer a sacrifice, you couldn't just get blind Bessie off the lot. It wasn't like you went out to the paddock and just went, actually, I need to get a, where's the, where's the one of those little sheep or one of those sort of animals that really, they're no good to me anyway. I'll use them as the sacrifice because I'm killing two birds with one stone as to speak. No, that was such a way that there had to be the best of the best to be able to take away your sin, which meant that for uh, these lowly people, that it was such an expensive thing to do. I mean, that really good lamb, the fattened lamb that you'd been working with and feeding and caring and loving, that you could maybe sell for a pretty penny, that was the one that you had to offer to the priest to make atonement on your behalf. You couldn't just have a, the attitude of anything will do. It had to be the best. It was a costly experience to have your sins atoned for back in those days. Can I remind us 
that the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could come into God's presence was a costly sacrifice. He couldn't go and find, oh, let's just find some old angel who's been driving me nuts around, doing whatever. It actually cost Jesus himself. It cost him his life so that what? So that you and I could come and stand in his presence this morning and not just sing about a God who loves us, but feel and know and tangibly have an experience with a God who loves us. Jesus' ministry work was costly. Verse 26, in which I read out, said, He did away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself, with a blood that was His own. Jesus' work was a costly work. I love the lyrics of the old hymn that says, He paid a debt He did not own. I owned a debt I could not pay. Jesus Christ paid the debt I could never, ever pay. Jesus' work was a costly work, but it was also a completed work. As I mentioned, the priest had to offer once a year, every year on the Day of Atonement, a a sacrifice for our sin. And then any other time, you and I wanted to go into God's presence. We wanted to ask something, we wanted to bless, we wanted to make, we had to actually get the priest to give an offering. But Jesus, it says, died once. He died once. Verse 25, he didn't enter heaven to offer himself again and again and again and again. In verse 28, it says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Church, I want to remind you that the work of Jesus is complete. He died once. Not only did he die once, he died for everyone. He's not selective in who he died for. It's not like, well, I'll die for you because you're an Australian. I'll die for you because you're Indian. I'll die for you because you're male. I'll die for you because whatever label you want to put on there. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he died. He sacrificed himself. His priestly ministry is for everyone. And how's this? It's for everything. There is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the sacrifice of Christ. There is nothing. It's everything. I want to remind us again this morning that Jesus isn't Santa Claus. Santa Claus makes a list. He makes a list of the good girls, the good boys, the good Good, bad girls, bad boys. And we live under this tyranny of will I be good enough to achieve this? Will I make the list or have what I've done? Has that taken me off the list? I love the fact that in Isaiah chapter 43, it says, I remember your sins no more. This is Jesus talking to his people. The message puts it like this. I don't keep a list. Jesus doesn't have a list of your sins. He He says, I've forgotten it. And it's about time you and I approach this completed work and remember that God remembers it no more. He's forgotten us. He doesn't have a list. He died once. He died for everyone. He died for everything. He died for every time. It doesn't mean you can exhaust the opportunity that, oh, I've got my nine free coffees. I've used, I've paid for nine coffees. I've used my 10th coffee. I'm done. No, there's no limit to God's actual grace towards you. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that can separate you. There's nothing that God hasn't already paid the price for with Jesus. He died finished. He didn't die young. He didn't die old. He died finished. He said, it is finished. And I love the fact that there is no clause 
There's no footnote. There's no, hey, you've got to take note of this. Just recently, we had to reinsure our cars. And uh, so I went through the process of finding different insurance companies. And I did that and I was happy with everything they offered me. And we're signing it up. And then at the end, the lady says to me, after I've signed the deal, oh, by the way, for the first three months, if this happens, this happens, this happens, or this happens, you're actually not insured. I'm like, you know what? Handy information before I signed the deal. I want to tell you, Jesus is not like our insurance company. There are no clauses. I know many insurance companies now with all the fires that we've been having and the floods, they're sneakily taking it out of their policies, not telling anyone, making sure you've got to read through it and think. And people are getting caught out because they think they're insured, but there's a little footnote that says, oh, in case of an act of God flood or this or that, you're not covered. I'm saying in case of an act of God, the act of God is this, that Jesus died for you. He died for everything you have ever done for every time you ever do it. Jesus' work is complete. It's kind of like this. Back in the day, and I know that there's a story relevant right now and I'll come back to it, but back in the day there was a little thing called lay-by. I know you guys all have afterpay, which means you all use the stuff and you still have to pay for it. In my day, you put it on lay-by and you didn't get to use it until you'd actually paid it off and then you got it to you. So I put some things on lay-by many years ago and uh, I was saving my money up so that when the eight-week time came up, I could go and pick it up. So I go to the shop to go and collect my lay-by. When I handed over the ticket, the lady says to me, oh, I'll go get your labour. And I said, oh, I've got to pay the balance. She said, no, no, the docket says it's been paid. Somebody had come along and paid my lay-by. And I know if you've been watching the news that it happened uh, up in Queensland where a toy store, all these families had lay and some man generously came and paid for their lay Can I tell you, I did not go back to the shops the next day to say, hey, you know what, my lay I need to, I'm trying to pay my lay if I said to you, hey, I went back every day for the next week to try and pay that labour, you would think I'm mad. You'd say, girl, you've got the labour, it's paid for, take your goods and go. But we do that to God all the time. Oh, what about this? Or what about God saying, you've got the labour, it's been paid, take it and go. What it should do in us is what this person did in my heart. I took my labour and it did something. I was like grateful that somebody would do that for me. It, it caused me to have this opportunity to want to, oh, where can I pay this forward? Where can I be thankful? Where can I do this for someone else? The work Jesus has done for us is complete. And thirdly, when we talk about Jesus' ministry, it's a continual Work. Verse 24 says this, He entered heaven itself and now appears for us in God's presence. Romans 8.34 puts it this way, Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He continually prays for us to God the Father. Jesus is ministering today, right now, at the right hand of God on your behalf, and on my behalf, his work is complete. His work is constant. And church, his work continues. So what does that mean for you and I today? Well, I'm going to tell you what that means. I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to quickly read verses 14 to 16. It says, Therefore, 
Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What do you and I need to do? What is our application today? Church, we need to approach this Jesus. We don't need a human priest to come and sacrifice on your and my behalf. Jesus has made a way that we don't have to watch the cricket on TV anymore. We are at Adelaide Oval. We are experiencing an immediate experience. It's not a mediated experience. I don't need to go to anybody else for them to interpret to me what God is saying. I don't need to go to anyone else for them to be able to offer up a um, sacrifice for my mistakes. I don't need to go and have someone tell me what God is saying. I can go directly because of Jesus into God's presence. And that scripture says, I can go confidently. I don't have to go with my head held down. I don't have to go dragging my feet. I don't have to go shy. I'm not talking about being irreverent. I'm not talking about being full of swag and being arrogant towards God. But I'm talking about a confidence in knowing I'm not going to die because Jesus has taken my place. Because he's shed his blood on my sin. God no longer sees it, but he sees Christ in me. So I can approach the throne. I can come to God and say, God, I'm struggling in this season. I can come to God and say, God, I'm so thankful that whatever I find myself, wherever I find myself, you are with me. And if you just give me two seconds, I need a drink. <laughs> I'm not like my husband, so I won't Google it, all right? It's good. James 4, 8 says this, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Jesus, the priest, the great high priest, has done a way so that you and I can approach God boldly and with confidence. The second thing you and I need to do is we've got to surrender to Him. You know what? Jesus coming to this earth, coming down to earth for you and I to lift us up was free. For us to acknowledge what He's done, to recognise what He's done for each and every one, it's free. But the difference is living for Jesus is costly. And just like He had a costly work, you and I actually are involved in a costly work. And I read a tweet this week and I thought I couldn't say it any better. This woman says, we want God to help us in our nightmares, but not to touch our dreams. And many of us want God as an insurance policy in the sky when we die, but we are refusing to surrender and live with him as Lord and King right here, right now. We want him to come, come rescue me. Oh Lord, I messed up again, I need your grace. Oh Lord, I'm anxious, I need you to come and fulfil me. Hey, I need your peace, I need your strength. We want all that. But then when God says, hey, will you get involved in tithing? Oh no, 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 God, I don't want you to touch my dreams because if I put you first in my finance, that means in my head, less for me, which means I can't then do these things and I have mapped up my future. I have found it when I sit with people in 26 years of ministry, when people get to that point where they either they stop serving, they stop giving, 
They stop coming to church. Often it's never the reasons that you and I put up before God and put up before others. To me, it's always come back to the point of, I don't want to surrender anymore. The cost has got too much. I've lost sight of what Jesus has done for me. I've got off the, I've taken Jesus off the throne and put myself back on. Romans 12 says this, that we are living sacrifices. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What I've discovered about my life being a living sacrifice is every time I see the knife coming to just take away the things that God wants to take, because I'm alive, I can jump and I can get off the altar. And I just look at Jesus who on the cross had every opportunity. The Bible records He could have called legions of angels. He could have actually got Himself off the cross. But for you and I, but because He wanted to come and be the high priest that God had prophesied all those years before. If Jesus had got off the cross, you and I couldn't come into God's presence today. But He stayed on the cross. And I want to encourage you, church, stay on the altar of sacrifice. Your living is going to take an actual application of you to surrender to what it is God is asking you to do to be able to say, you know what? While everything inside me wants to flee, everything inside me wants to run, everything inside me wants to get off, I'm going to look at the example of Jesus, follow His, He stayed on the cross. I'm going to stay on the altar. I'm going to sacrifice myself because of what He did. I'm going to invite the band to come up as I, the third point. And the third thing we talk about, how does this apply for us today? We can approach Him. We need to surrender to Him. But you know what, church? We need to receive from Him. God wants us to do an exchange this morning. Our sin for His righteousness. Our anxiety for His peace. Our fear for His peace. Our anxiousness, concerns, pain for His joy for His love. That's exactly what the cross represents for us. It's a divine exchange. And what, again, we, we joked about my uh, lay-by story, but you know what? It would be ridiculous for me, like I said to you earlier, that if I just kept going back to that shop trying to pay or, trying, or didn't take the goods that had been paid, just because I didn't pay for it, doesn't mean they weren't mine. It had been paid and they were now to be in my possession. And you would think me mad and crazy not to have taken that. And yet often that's what we do when it comes to God, is that we don't do the very thing that His sacrifice did, was exchange what we don't need for what He has that we do need. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.